My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 68. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I have been a busy, young, old man lately. My wife and I went to Greenville, South Carolina on Sunday and stayed downtown. If you haven't done that and you're somewhat, let's say you're 40-plus, I think 40-plus will enjoy that little jaunt. Pick one of the hotels up and down Main Street in Greenville, South Carolina. You will like it. You will feel like you're in a different world. Just a beautiful tree-lined street, and then you go on down the street to the to the uh, river that flows through that town, and the Rabbit Trail, I think that's what they call it. It is a wonderful walking and bike trail that goes for many miles. I don't remember the distance, but it's a lot. It's like 14 or 20, something like that. But my wife and I took our bikes down there one time, not this time. This time we had a special mission in mind. We stayed at the Weston Poinsett, which is a rest, a hotel that we hadn't stayed at, not a restaurant. We did eat good, though, while we were there. Real good. But we got up the next morning and drove to, well, near Atlanta to pick up a vehicle, a two-wheeled vehicle, something that I bought back in March at the Gooding Auction. It was a 1954 Piaggio Vespa 125. And it's a scooter. It's just a very old scooter that's pretty valuable. I paid about 12000 for this little scooter. But I feel like it's worth probably eh, low 20s. So what was my purpose for buying it? Certainly not to ride it. I look like an elephant on a unicycle. So I'm not going to be riding that. Um, but I am going to be selling it. It's going to be on bringatrailer.com. I just sold my 1955 Thunderbird on there and did pretty well. Bought it at the Gooding Auction. Bought it and the, the scooter at the same time. And again, my mind was set on, well, I don't know. I was a little bit torn with both of these, whether I would like take the, the scooter camping with us or whether I was just going to sell it, flip it, and try to make something. And the 55 Thunderbird, probably the best restored car that I have ever owned. I mean, just almost perfect in every way. But it was just too nice. And so I decided to put it up for auction, seven-day auction. Uh, stayed pretty low in, in the low 30s for most of the week. It's, um, uh, didn't get a lot of action. Not a lot of comments either. I was getting a little concerned, but it had a lot of watchers. It had about... Over 500 people that had clicked the little star that means that they're watching it and they're being notified of any comments or bids that are being made. But, man, did that thing catch fire in the last two minutes. Because every time you bid in the last two minutes, it resets to two minutes. So it just keeps going over and over again. I bet it did that 20 times and ended up bringing close to 60000 It was the, the most that I've seen just about any Thunderbird bring on Bring a Trailer. But it was because it was so nice. So the gentleman from Chicago is very happy that he's buying it. He pays his uh, 5% fee for buying it and then arranges transportation. But it's a it's such a cool way to sell cars. You meet all kinds of interesting people. He is actually in charge of the Navy Pier and all the entertainment. They manage the Navy Pier. Do you know what that is? Well, that's a big pier in Chicago and it has a, a venue on it. And it has, uh, well, a lot of restaurants and different things to see and do for adults and children alike. It's a beautiful place. My wife and I have been there several times. And that was where my dad had his training when he uh, was in the Navy. 
He was at the he was there at the Navy Pier. I guess that's where the Naval Training Center was before they shipped out to the South Pacific for World War II. So that's pretty cool. We also uh, went there for a Mazda meeting one time. Dad and I did, and it was uh, they had a concert there at the big domed theater at the Navy Pier, and it was the Judds, Naomi and Winona. I remember Winona would, uh, every time she finished a song, she she had these little white guitar picks that were in the shape of a heart, and they were autographed. And every time she'd finish, finish a song, she would flick it into the audience. Well, I'm a guitar guy, and I said, I'm going to get one of those. And so I ended up getting one. She flicked one my way. So I have a Winona pick, heart-shaped Winona pick, as one of my treasured items. Maybe not so treasured, but I do like it. It reminds me of being there with my dad, so that's cool. So that's one of the things I really love about the car business are the connections that I've been able to make. It's been a lot more since I've been older. Obviously, since I started doing this radio show, it has just opened the floodgates of folks that you know that have lived in East Tennessee and lived in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, since I started doing the podcast, I get phone calls and messages from a lot of different places in the country. And that's really neat. I like that. Keep them coming, baby. Okay, I'm going to take my first break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. You know, my opinion as far as EVs became more entrenched uh, this weekend. I drove, let's see, I filled up in Greenville, drove to Greenville, South Carolina, down to Atlanta, back to Greenville, South Carolina, and back to Greenville, Tennessee. And that was a total of 554 miles. I still have a quarter of a tank of gas left. Uh, When we were in, uh, let's see, Asheville, North Carolina, we stopped to get something to eat. And I looked over and I saw a Tesla supercharger station there. And there were three Teslas uh, backed into the different spots. And they had their electric plugs uh, plugged into their vehicles. I don't ever want that to be me. Just sitting there, draining the grid of electrons, and just killing time, just waiting for your vehicle to fill up with, you know, charge your battery. I'm sorry, I'm just too impatient for that. So that's probably not going to me. When I buy an electric vehicle, yeah, maybe, you know, around town, at some point, we may not have a choice. Now, as a Ford dealer, uh, we still have choices. And I believe that the whole electric thing is going to be a not a bust, but it's not going to be as big of a boom as everybody thought because we just don't have the ability to do it. But we'll see. Okay, let's talk about your car here just a second. So during the summer, what are the top seasonal repairs that people face? I thought these were kind of interesting. I would not have thought that people would have had that 35% of the repairs would have been uh, related to the power windows and the window regulator. That's what actually makes the window go up and down. I don't see a lot of window failures at Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan. Maybe other brands have a lot of problems with these. And they, when they do get older, you know, the components are not real uh, robust. There are several plastic parts one of the main things that makes the window go up and down is a kind of like a plastic chain that rolls through the uh, regulator. And I could see how that could be a problem. The number one failure is air conditioning failure. Wrong time for that to happen. 
Uh, number two is cooling fan. Number three is timing chain. What does the timing chain do? Well, if yours breaks, you will know what it does. It will take about anywhere from five to $15,000 out of your wallet or your bank account. You probably don't have that much in your wallet. Well, you might, not to insult anybody. But yeah, the timing chain is basically uh, responsible for making sure that the valves in the top of the engine that, that let air in and exhaust out of the combustion chamber do not come into contact with the piston as it rises in the combustion chamber. If the timing chain breaks, you've got pistons and valves hitting each other, creating all kinds of havoc and metal flying all over the place. Basically, it destroys your engine. Now, I say the word timing chain. Most cars do have timing chains. It's literally a chain, okay? Kind of like a bicycle chain, except a lot more complicated. But a lot of cars, especially foreign cars, have timing belts. So when I say belt, it's kind of like a fan belt. So picture that. That's inside your engine. And if the manufacturer of your car says that your timing belt needs to be changed at 60,000 miles, you better get jiggy with it. Because 60,000 miles, if that, if that thing breaks, you're looking at a new engine. So if it says 100,000 miles, then replace your, your timing belt at 100,000 miles. But do not let that thing get old because it can, it can be bad. And a lot of times, that happens a lot in the summer, apparently. Okay, number four was the window uh, regulator and the power window lift, as they say in England. Uh, number five is the fan clutch. Well, what's that do? Well, the fan clutch is responsible for engaging and disengaging your fan on the front of your engine. Now, in the old days, there was no fan clutch. It's just when the engine was running, the fan was turning. But in order to improve fuel economy, uh, the manufacturers said, well, you know, we don't need the fan running if the engine is running cool at a cool temperature. So let's just leave the fan off because that consumes additional energy. Uh, creates a load on the uh, the electrical system, which most of the fans are electrical now, or electric fans, uh, and it creates that load, which puts puts a more more of a strain on the engine. Okay, so so fan clutch goes out, it, it stops clutching, it stops going on. Basically, car tends to overheat. If you're watching your gauge, then you'll see it happen, and then you'll shut your car off. If you've got pictures of your grandkids on the dash blocking your gauge, or your, your temperature light, then you're not going to know it until your engine starts, uh, well, you start seeing steam, you know, coming out of underneath your vehicle. You've, uh, you've waited too long. Your engine is probably going to seize up, and you end up buying an engine that way too. So looking at the number one failure, AC failure, it's usually because you run out of refrigerant. Why do you run out of refrigerant? It's because you have a leak somewhere in the system. And since you haven't been using your air conditioning, you don't realize it. It leaks over the winter. Maybe it was cooling okay, you know, at, at the end of summer. You just really didn't notice it. Maybe you run with your windows down. But, you know, if you notice the cooling start to, to not cool as much, you know, your air conditioning you just doesn't feel like it's doing its job, it's time to get it checked. What they'll do <clears throat> is you'll bring it into the service department and they'll check the pressure. They'll see how much refrigerant you have. And if they say it's low, your next question is, why is it low? Well, it's probably leaking out. Well, 
How do you find a leak? We need to inject dye into the system, and you need to drive it around and then bring it back, and we'll see where it's leaking. It's really the only way to find a leak, unless it's just obvious where it's leaking from. So that's something you need to get checked before summer. And some of these other things, cooling fan, you're not going to be able to see that happen until it happens. It's just boom, it happens. Timing chain breaks. It's probably because you didn't. Well, timing chain, I, I should be saying timing belt because timing chains really don't break very often. That's just something that the manufacturers created so that they could make more money selling parts. And plus, it's lighter weight. And they felt, you know, with the advances in rubber technology and stuff, then maybe that this would be something that they could make that would uh, be cheaper. They could sell an engine cheaper if it had a belt instead of a chain. So make sure that you get that done. Um, let's see, fan clutch. Okay, so these are, I agree with most of these. These are things that can happen to, to you if you're um, not paying attention. Some of them, some of them, whether you pay an attention or not, they're going to happen. I was paying attention to my 1948 Lincoln Continental. Walked into the shop over at Gateway Number 2, where we restore most of our cars, and it had a literal puddle underneath it. Not just a few drips, a puddle of oil. I said, okay, Johnny, you know Johnny, he's my guy. Where's What is that? And he said, well, you've got a major leak in the back of your engine. So this is a V12 engine. And um, so I'm going to have to pull the back of the or pull the transmission out so that we can get to the rear main oil seal. Imagine finding a rear main oil seal for a vehicle built in 1948, let alone a V12 built in 1948. You know, if you see drips on your driveway, I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about oil or transmission fluid, or anything that's dripping out of a modern car. It shouldn't be. And that's something that you need to get checked. Um, you know, if it's an older car, you know, if it's 10 or 15 years old, sometimes they the gaskets fail, and you take them in to get them fixed. And, and they were leaking a lot, and then when you bring it home, it's still leaking a little bit. And I don't know whether it's all the cycling of the engines getting hot and cold and hot and cold. No, over time, things just uh, wear out. I, I can understand that, but but you know, if it's especially if it's a coolant leak or an oil leak, uh, transmission, something around your brakes. I had actually a, a, a wheel cylinder go bad in one of the old cars that I'm restoring, and it just failed. It was brand new, but they put pressure in the system. They were bleeding the brakes and got pressure in it, and it just started pouring. So we had to replace the wheel cylinder. You know, if that happens to you, all of a sudden you put your brakes on, all of a sudden it's pulling dramatically to one way or the other if a wheel cylinder fails because only one side of your braking system is working. So these are all just maintenance items. That's why it's so important for somebody to get under your car and to look at these things. These quick lube places, they just don't go far enough. And by the way, I'm not going to name any names, but the last two weeks we've had two vehicles that the engines were destroyed because somebody forgot to tighten an oil filter at a quick lube place. So I don't, you know, it's hard to get good help. I understand that, but, you know, you've just got to go someplace where the people are trained and skilled, and they're going to make mistakes occasionally as well, but very seldom. I mean, that's just something. When you have more than one person working on a car 
and it's like multiple people. You know, one guy those quick loop places, one guy is underneath it, or two guys are underneath, and two guys are on top. They're trying to get you in and out of there as quickly as possible. And they're not there to really inspect a whole lot of things. They look at some things. They're not all bad, but they're not looking at um, just little things that can turn into big things. So that's something you have to be uh, aware of, please. Okay, what else? What other maintenance things? Oh, uh, you know, really common thing that you see this time of year, check engine lights coming on. What's that mean? Well, that means that one of your uh, sensors on your engine is not uh, is picking up something that your car is doing that's out of the parameters where it's supposed to be. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and get they t- uh, check your blood pressure, and it's 120 over 75. They're going to say, you're good to go. But if it's like 90 over 50, they're going to be concerned. If it's 200 over 120, you need to go to the emergency room. So there are all these, there's these basic um, parameters that they want to make sure that you stay in between the lines. And so that's what these sensors do. And when the, when they go outside the lines, they come on. So what does it cost to get somebody to check it? Well, you can go to a like an auto parts store. Sometimes they'll do it for free. But all they're going to tell you is what it says, what, what code it's, it's uh, setting in the system. It may say, well, your, your oxygen sensor may be bad. Well, is it bad or is it not? Well, we don't know. Well, why did I waste my time coming in here then? Good question. Go to the dealership. Uh, it's going to cost between 90 and $120 in most places to uh, actually do a thorough check engine light test to plug it into the OBD port and plug in a computer, a reader. Um, I had a gentleman tell me the other day, he bought one. He's an independent shop, and he paid $3,700 for his little tester. Do you understand why they might want to charge to to, uh, tell you what your check engine light or why your check engine light is on? When they have to pay $3,700 for a little handheld tool, that's why. So don't get mad because when you go to the doctor, if they say, you're in perfect health, there's nothing wrong with you. They still charge you. So just for the time, you, you know, you're paying for time. If a mechanic has to, to come away from a job that he's getting paid to do to come test your car, he deserves to be paid for that. So don't fuss about it. So if you have to replace your oxygen sensor, you know, in some cars it can be a $150 deal. On others, it can cost a grand. So that's something that uh, you need to be aware of. Check engine lights are serious, and, and if you ignore it, then it's very possible you could uh, damage your engine. Because if the oxygen sensor goes bad, which makes the catalytic converter go bad, then all of a sudden it's stopped up and your car won't run, and a catalytic converter is even more expensive. You know, that is if the thieves don't steal it first. Uh, we had some Yahoos come to Gateway Ford. And they thought they were still in the catalytic converter, but they weren't. They were still in, I can't remember what the other device was, uh, what Billy called it on the, the system, but on the exhaust system. But they stole that. They probably, can't you just see, they took that and say, here, I got a catalytic converter. Uh, no, that's not a catalytic converter. That's like somebody robbing a bank and getting Monopoly money. So park your car in a garage if you have one. And if not, put motion sensors around it. Do something. They can steal a catalytic converter in about uh, less than a minute because they get in there with these electric saws. 
Um, it's kind of like a jigsaw, not a jigsaw. What is it? Uh, reciprocating saw. That's it. And they, uh, they just cut right through that exhaust pipe. The way you'll know it's happened is that you'll start your car and you think you're at a NASCAR race because, you know, you have no muffler anymore. So that'd be a great thing to wake up the neighborhood, wouldn't it? Or not. There's also a ring out there that's slashing tires. Uh, environmentalist. What are they going after? I'll tell you here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. Do you remember when GM was going bankrupt and Obama said, well, they need to eliminate some brands. Let's get rid of that SUV brand. What's it called? Hummer. Yeah, let's get rid of that. Why do they want to get rid of that? Well, because it was not eco-friendly. It was perceived, you know, to use a lot more gas, which they probably did. And so uh, the Libs had their opportunity to really uh, go against the SUV craze by eliminating Hummer. And so that's what they did. Now Hummer is gone, and uh, people are buying, what are they buying now? SUVs by the thousands and millions. And so what, what is happening with these environmental groups, they're not happy about that, and they're slashing tires. So you can't please everybody. Uh, not even an eco-terrorist. You know, they really shouldn't complain because some of the SUVs we sell and other, you know, Hyundai, Kia, uh, Honda, Toyota, they get great gas mileage. They get a whole lot better mileage than some of the cars used to, so they should be praising the SUV, not slashing the tires. Oh, well. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. Send me a text if you want to, and I'll answer your, your car questions, 423 423- Five five two twenty twenty, or send me an email, Lenny Lawson twenty twenty at gmail dot com. I'll see you next time.